Hello and welcome again to another edition of the Ampere Computing Podcast. My name is Mahesh Madhav and I'm a producer here in Ampere Studios. I'm also a performance engineer in the architecture team. I'm joined here today with Shiv Koshik, who is an Ampere fellow here in our architecture team. I'm also joined by Kristen Cannon. I'm Kristen Cannon. I'm working with the People and Culture Initiative to help capture our stories. So I'll be guest co-hosting for a few sessions to help with this journey of capturing the stories of Ampere and the inventors and thinkers behind the work that we do. Excellent. Thanks for coming along for the ride, Kristen. Absolutely. And thanks for Shiv to, to being here for this podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. And so we, we want to have a little discussion on various different topics in Ampere Computing, including how you came to join our team, as well as what the state of the world is in the system software land. So I want to get it started first, saying, you know, I, I did do a little bit of research uh, on you before, <laughs> uh, b- before you, you know, we were, we're doing this wonderful interview. And so I, I went to your LinkedIn kind of glean some information there. And I noticed that you play World of Warcraft. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Although I'm not sure how you actually glean that from my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> well, there's a little secret pull-down menu there, like find all the stuff about shit, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I do play World of Warcraft. I've been, uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm sort of the avid gamer. Compared to some of the other gamers I know, I'd say I'm a dabbler. <laughs> but I've been playing World of Warcraft for about 20 years now. Oh, wow. And uh, I actually started playing when I started working on some graphic stuff in my previous job and uh, just realized the importance of graphics. And I figured that the best way to experience is by gaming. And uh, of course, I did have a, a, a manager who's sort of been my lifelong mentor who is... I would say an avid gamer in the world of Warcraft. <laughs> uh, so it was a combination of, of kind of the seeing the technology come together, having working with the sort of people that I admire at work, outside work, but also just the, the, the fun of immersing yourself in something yeah. and, and sort of experiencing a world that uh, likely is different from the one yep. that you live in a daily basis. Are you part of a guild? Is, is that the right term? I, yes, yes. I um, I am part of a guild. I'm, I mean, I actually was very active till about six months ago. Uh, I believe I have the distinct pleasure of being the lowest scoring person in the guild. <laughs> 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 I think it's part of my responsibility to slow everybody down in the game. Oh, I see, I see. But... <laughs> So if, if we log into the World of Warcraft, how, how do we find you? What's your handle? I actually have a couple of handles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I shall not disclose them <laughs> because I have a feeling that you're going to go to the research and try to figure out some of the really terrible scores that I have. Um, I, I do have about three characters that I run on a regular basis. Last year, I actually got two of them to a 90-plus level, which for me is good. <laughs> Of course, I mean, the the realms are moving to where 90 is not good enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was fun. Awesome. It was fun, yeah. And so you mentioned that there's a technical aspect to, to this as, as uh, you know, I, I can definitely relate to your story because when I was working on uh, mobile chipsets, I found it part of my job to start playing Android games. 
for the purposes of seeing why they're slow, of course, not for any uh, actual uh, <laughs> I, I fully, entertainment I fully benefit, concur maybe. with that. Yes, it's, it's, yes. it's a completely scientific <laughs> exercise. <laughs> so it, it was, uh, uh, you know, I, I made some really great presentations on, on why a whole host of games are slow. And of course, I had to play all 30 or 40 of them to measure that performance for myself. But for World of Warcraft, there's a graphics component, and then there's a server component. And there's a little slice of the market called connected visual computing. And that's kind of a very server-intensive, unique workload. Did you have experience in building those machines? A, a little bit. I mean, not, not, not as much, I think, as you likely know. Um, I'm, I'm sort of the system software guy. Yeah. Graphics is one of the aspects, right? So... I've done a lot of the work associated with getting the operating environments mm. associated with those machines working and how do you actually, I mean, to some extent, I've seen operating systems as a glue that really bring the hardware and the experiences that the hardware can deliver together, right? So in, in, the, in the connected... And, and essentially, I think the, the connector, effectively the remote gaming or the connected visual experience world, I think as you're referring to it, the operating system really had the role of making the experience, really bringing the capacity of the graphics engine or the graphics cards, which are pretty powerful cards on the server, and being able to deliver that experience to a broad set of virtual machines and users running on that remotely to where they couldn't necessarily tell the difference between the fact that this isn't really the most powerful machine I'm working with sitting next to me and it's something actually sitting miles and miles away mm -hmm. in a data center, right? And I think the operating system, system software really has the capability and the ability to do that. So I know that Ampere has done some public demos. I was at the ARM TechCon last year. And, and we had a demo of Android running in the cloud, playing all sorts of different games and different applications uh, on the server, multiple copies of them all running mm -hmm. at the same time. It feels like there's this dovetail uh, where you can apply some of these past learnings of gaming and app development uh, applications running in connected visual environments now to an ARM ecosystem where, for example, there's no binary translation required for running these Android applications, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the uh, uh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, gaming is something we're talking about. The, the thing that actually is, is sort of pretty exciting, some of the areas, I mean, actually the bigger areas that we are focusing on from an Ampere perspective is that the cloud really is the future computer we are building. And and it's a pretty simple statement, but when you when you kind of parse it out, you have billions of computers that are running at multiple levels. I mean, all the way from just the, the SOC, the CPU, the memory on one node, to the multiple nodes within a rack, and just the multitude of racks that you're going to be running. And 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 effectively, I mean, this is this is the part that excites me is that. You, you, you have an operating system at every level, right? And the experience that you, and, and that, that computer is, we run, is going to be running the workloads of the entire universe as we know it, right? And the ability to 
to build the software, to build the engines that are uniquely delivering sort of capabilities the cloud providers needs. That's the part that excites me about actually mm -hmm. coming to Ampere and working on that segment, which is building the computer of the future. Yeah, it seems like there's so much change happening in the industry now. And when I was in school, everybody's kind of thinking like, oh, you know, there's you could go into compilers, but oh, you know, what's going to happen there? You can go into OSs, but oh, there's enough OSs in the world. But as as we go in the industry, we see oh, the binary translation. Like all the compiler folks have gone to BT or Java, right, and JVMs, and all the OS people have started creating things like the mobile OSs and now the cloud OSs. And there's so many layers of hypervisors and and different system software stacks that are becoming more and more important. And it feels like the time is ripe for new engineers coming to the market to, to jump into these places to solve these problems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would concur. Um, <laughs> I mean, just looking at it, it's kind of interesting. I, I was speaking with one of the, the interns that actually started at Ampere, I think for about a month back, right? And they were kind of asking me, so what's, what's important? And I kind of thought about my personal journey in computing, right? So now there's an interesting story of how I actually got into engineering, but maybe that's, we'll, we'll that's, talk about that. We'll also. talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, but I was first interested in AI, and this was about three decades ago. So when I started thinking about grad school, AI AI is what I'm going to be doing, and of course it became evident the compute capacity just didn't exist at that point in time, right? So the beauty was I. I got interested in computer architecture at that time and compilers. So <laughs> most of my doctorate work was on compiling for high performance computers. I say I had I had the lucky opportunity of doing an internship in Oregon uh, with Intel. And uh, I thought I'd done the compiler things. Let me go work on operating systems. <laughs> so I, I came in, worked on operating systems, but as I look back at the 25 years, right, it's it's not one thing. You, you really have the opportunity in the technology industry today to do all of those. And in fact, you need the capabilities within each of those fields to kind of deliver the products that we do. And, and so the conversation I was having was, it's funny, I mean, when I, when I go back and and we recently kind of had to do re redo our home i still look at the henry patterson computer architecture book now it's the i think the third third of the fourth publication yep. um <clears throat> i still have my corning and richie <laughs> programming book it's a lot of the the basic principles the pillars that that you learn in computer science and engineering from the computer architecture, the compiling technologies, the programming languages, the operating systems, and databases, right? Those are literally foundational in, in how you end up using them. Uh, and that was my kind of, at least just looking back, the advice that as an undergrad, this is the best opportunity for you to learn all of those pillars because you will never know which ones you're going to need to build on going forward. And, and uh, the, the fun part is... Uh, for me, um, in the last six months I've been here, I've found myself exercising each and every one of those <laughs> skills and abilities and, and different problems you're running into. And I think that's something that's fascinating when you think about bringing those core or sometimes fringe understandings to a revolution or to a new inventions. 
so like modular arithmetic like you know what do you really need it for until somebody figures out how to use it for cryptography or c groups people have been using c groups but now we're going to use it in a way that disrupts a whole ecosystem around it so as you look to the future of how we are taking you know core concepts and building core products but still being inventive what do you what do you see that excites you the part that's excited me, um, well, what one is is I a little bit of this. I mean, there, there is, it's a multi multi part answer in some sense. One is I've I've always been a very hands on person, <laughs> and and I think Mahesh likely remembers this. the The second week I was at at Ampere, I literally spent a week in just the lab, <laughs> and that was an amazing week. I mean, I I. Got my hands on the computer. I installed the operating system. I got applications running on it. So, so that 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 is that is a fun part. I mean, I, I think it's kind of taking it from there. The just the, the multitude, the 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 multitude. So there there's there's two aspects to it. The part that's been fascinating for me is actually the ability for Ampere in particular to focus on one segment. And having the ability to focus on one segment, one class of products, actually frees you in in many ways to where you can bring in all those abilities, just a multitude of disciplines, and and apply them to one particular field, as opposed to a scenario where you're spread thin across multiple set of customers, and each with unique needs. And, and not have the ability to deliver something that is uniquely targeted towards a cloud customer. And w- within that, I mean, it's it's just the 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 areas that I've seen and actually exercised in the last six months have touched on all of those, is all the way from looking at how some of the new microarchitectures that Ampere is building and how do you actually optimize a lot of the operating of the microarchitecture in a way in which the knowledge of the operating system that you're going to be running helps you shape and optimize that to deliver the best performance or the best power attributes. All the way from that that basic piece to how do some of the complex workloads that we are going to be running in the cloud, how do they do when you have, uh, how do they scale, how do they perform across a broad range of sockets within the same system, to how do you actually deliver the best power efficiency when you get a lot of these into a rack, right? So it, it is just that multitude and the breadth of problems that you can work on and bring to bear the skills that you've learned. That's, that's been amazing. And it sounds like in a lot of ways, it's coming back to an early passion or early love where you have so much more direct impact even on the work you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think is I'm I'm not. I'll, I'll say this. I'm I don't believe I'm unique in that. Uh, the the other fun part for me actually was uh, <clears throat> having having a uh, actually a very like minded set of people that actually share the same set of values, the the same set of desire to take on challenges, who who actually challenge each other, and uh, in in a way in which that is very constructive. And uh, that's actually a very hard thing to get. I think as Mahesh likely knows, I mean, I was in Intel for about 25 years and it was an amazing experience. I mean, I, I kind of joined when the Pentium processor was just coming about and Windows 3.1 <laughs> 
<laughs> I think nobody likely remembers Windows 3.1. And I, I was lucky to actually have the opportunity to be at the center of just the massive transformation that has really shaped what the technology industry as we, we know it is of today. And, and I think when I look back is the most fun that I've had is working with a, a set of people who are smart, share a set of values, who work in a very cohesive fashion and are willing to take on a set of challenges which actually popular belief has at that point in time held that uh, those can be addressed. And, and actually have both the, the desire to some extent and the audacity to take those on and prove that the popular belief is wrong. Mm. And, and with a set of leaders, uh, a set of leaders who uh, are transparent, who are visionary and sometimes bolder than you would believe <laughs> them to be, uh, but who actually skin in the game, right? And, and I mean, just being a part of, of that is hard, but when you, when you get it, you want to hold on to it. And I've just found that that's where I've had the most fun. That's where I believe as a part of a group I've had the most impact. And where I believe that you can solve really, really hard problems and be successful. And I, I think that, you know, you're talking about being fortunate to have been right in the thick of a major transformation in computing. But it seems like the transformations and the disruptions are happening closer and closer together and faster and faster. And you have, you know, walked again right into the thick of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I mean, I, I um, the last last 18 months have been an interesting journey for me. I, I think a lot of my colleagues at Ampere likely have been through a similar journey. After having kind of been at the cusp of delivering this technological transformation, I kind of look forward and I, I got the sense that I've solved a lot of what I could be doing and, and really looking for the next set of technological challenges and, and actually have both the freedom and the ability to focus on those. And, and the cloud, as I described a little bit earlier, right, is really that, is, is you're really seeing a con- the convergence of what was a largely massively distributed and geographically spread computing into a few set of areas, right, to where you have the ability to build what is the, the truly distributed computing experience. And some of the things that, that we were talking about, I think Mahesh referred to them, recursive virtualization. In my past life, we'd spend a lot of time talking about it, but there really weren't any actual use cases mm-hmm. where you would see that. When you look at the, the cloud, and the fact that you're literally running workloads that the actual computing universe was running and have the ability to seamlessly move them around without the person who's actually running them knowing that they're running in a place that's millions and millions of miles, well, not millions of miles away, but it's pretty far away from you, and move them and deliver a computing experience, it just brings out a set of challenges that we were just thinking about previously, and now they're real. Right, and, and, and it requires thinking about, I mean, recursive virtualization, reliability, the ability to deliver the security within mm-hmm. within those. So just a, a, a completely different set of technological challenges that actually when you make you wake up every day and yep. come in. You and, want to come into work every come day. Come into work every day, right? It's the kind of uh, 
learn something new, do something better. I want to acknowledge how passionate you are being hands-on and in the lab. And I remember when we were both at Intel and I was working on a project with you in your lab and you know, spending time in your lab doing, doing things. And I had been away from that hands-on experience for a while and I had just gone uh, deep diving searching searching for answers and and when I joined Ampere I continued to have that hunger and you know we were in a one of these high rises in downtown Portland in a temporary space and we didn't have any hardware in front of us and the first thing I wanted to do is log into a machine mm. and run top run <laughs> DMI decode I want to yeah. see I've never logged into an ARM machine before I want to see what it's like and uh, it took me a while to finally find the right person company and be like I want to log into your system and then I flew down to Santa Clara and I said, I'm sitting here in front of these systems and, and just seeing what they're like. And, and I had that desire. And, you know, you had that desire when you came in and you're like, Mahesh, I want to log on to the system that you're on right now. And I was like, that's my system. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to share it with somebody, right? But the, this, this concept of an architect needs to have that tangible experience of opening up the chassis and touching that that CPU touching the RAM and and seeing that it is actually something physical that has been created. It's not just bits on the screen. Uh, you're not so far away from it anymore. And you seem to to have that. And I think it's a valuable skill that sometimes is lost on engineers who don't have that experience. No, no. I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree more. This will be, I mean, I'll speak for myself, but I believe this applies for engineers in general. <laughs> I've always loved working with hands. I mean, even though it's kind of a contradiction in some sense, I love working with my hands, but I found most engineers love math too. <laughs> but but when you think about it, math is a beautiful is beautiful. You can literally start with addition and build the entire mathematics yeah. field <laughs> based on that. <laughs> and, and and that's what engineering is about. Yeah. It's it's like you're building stuff. Right, you start with simple concepts, build on them, build on them, uh, and the fact that you are using a set of scientific principles along the way. But the key in is you're building something, <laughs> and and you have to feel it, you have to look at it, you have to be able to see that it's real, and especially for system software. I mean, this is the. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I say this as many times. I've been lucky to have a lot of really good mentors. I mean, one of my my first manager when I joined Intel, and and I still look at him as my lifelong mentor. Actually, I, I learned a lot of the the beauty of working in the lab from him. I and mean, he, he had an interesting career. Um, <laughs> he was a medical doctor. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> who loved programming <laughs> and uh, decided that he wanted to be a, a computer scientist. And I, I learned the a lot of my debugging skills from him. I learned uh, there's so many things that but but the, the the key thing is is system software I think is the glue like I said that brings the hardware and the software together, and you really have to be in the lab. It's one of those skills that I believe is not something that you learn by taking courses or reading about stuff. You have to be in the thick of it. It's well, I mean one one of the things I mean I, I think I had a similar experience to to yours was I mean in, in yeah, when I worked at Intel, I mean, I kind of straddled the technical and the management track. 
the fun part was actually growing the next generation, multiple generations of system software engineers. But towards the end of it, I realized I was so far from the technology mm-hmm. that I, I really missed the going to the lab, reading code, writing code, reading specs, writing specs, debugging issues. And that's why I actually spent the first week <laughs> uh, get, get, getting back to that. And, and, and it was fun, I think, is... Uh, but that's that's the beauty of engineering also is that, um, like, by the way, I mean, it's it's true, I believe, for most professions where uh, you have to be in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. There's a risk that you can get separated from that and, and the more layers there are between you and the actual technology, the less connected you are yep. with it. Was that one of the motivations for coming to Ampere, looking for that kind of it, it was, It was, it was. I mean, I think they were... There's a lot of soul searching that I that that I I mean I wouldn't call it soul searching, but really looking at it, what what did I really enjoy in in the work and it, it was the three things I think two things that we talked about. One was actually working with a really smart set of people, uh, working with a set of leaders that I could look up to, that I could trust, and who equally trusted in my abilities, and taking on challenges and actually being an integral part of doing something new. The third part was actually the the key thing that I was looking for was the okay, I've spent a large part of my twenty five years in growing teams and kind of managing large groups. I want to use the rest of my <laughs> 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 uh, the next the next phase of my my journey in actually exercising that other part of being a a technologist, yep. being an architect, and uh, kind of focusing on the innovation, bringing in technical solutions, and solving them, solving yeah. the problems. So the, the big problems that are facing us now as we build out cloud computing are some of the, the enabling issues of system software. What are some of the important lessons that you've learned about enabling, and what what does it take to, to get this ecosystem fully engaged with regards to ARM processors. And enabling means it's a it's it's a small word, but it's got a massive scope to it at multiple multiple levels, right? So I mean for the area that I spend most of my time in, which is sort of the system software and the operating system side of it, most of those pieces so you, you it's literally like building grounds up, right? You start with the operating systems, you start with kind of build the layers above it. Uh, the part that actually I was both surprised to some extent, uh, positively when I when I joined uh, Ampere was that literally most of the layers have already been built. I, I spent a lot of the time on the Microsoft Windows part of it, but just having open software was a huge contribution to that. The second piece that is equally interesting is just how prevalent runtime, managed runtimes, and mm-hmm. just and effectively the new the new class of languages, right? Yep. Which which are either interpreted or managed in some sense, to where uh, there's a separation between the it, it doesn't matter what program you're running, right? Is is as long as the environment is something that exists. So so we we kind of have the situation where most of the software should just run, right? Not, not clearly there's an exercise associated with going through and first proving that it runs, then clearly optimizing it, right? It, it, it is part of the work that we have to do from an Ampere perspective. The positive, the significant advantage is, is where you have a set of people who've done that 
in for generations who who know what it takes to make that happen and and that that i think is is the the ability to know what has worked and what has not is a large part of of now learning and applying it to figure out how we do it in the most effective way that's one piece right the second piece that is actually equally unique and and something that i've i've learned in the last 6 months through a lot of the the engagement with the customers is just how the the computing in the cloud is evolving right when you look at a lot of the new frameworks and sort of the programming environments that are coming up clearly based upon at least some of the big cloud providers they 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 are largely being built in a way in which the the it doesn't matter whether it's arm 64 they they're built upon which is the best solution that mm-hmm. can deliver that experience right so i think is that that i think is a second big advantage that that exists right that said is is uh, on the arm 64 side and and this is uniquely for ampere we we have a very significant advantage that there've been several people who've trailblazed in in bringing arm 64 into the server ecosystem especially the software ecosystem the software ecosystem yep. part of it right which i mean clearly i think is from the early inceptions of arm 64 to qualcomm and uh, uh, that was a big surprise because the amount of work that's been done the the other piece that actually is equally unique and and valuable is when you look at the the device ecosystem we're all sitting here we all have phones they're running on arm yep and and that is what a lot of the developers are developing to today right so so you you already see that you have a a very massive mindset on the the device ecosystem which is largely what's going to be connecting to the cloud right so so it's so all the elements associated with a, a prevalence of an arm mindset in the developer ecosystem and just how computing is evolving on the cloud to where the next generation of software that's going to be coming up is literally going to be built by developers who've been living and breathing and growing up on arm now there's it doesn't mean that uh there's still a lot of work we have to do mm-hmm. right i mean it's it's not that it's a given there's clearly a whole set of challenges ahead but when you look at the the tailwinds when you look at the opportunities and the the skill set of people available and and the mindset within the cloud providers i i believe that that's something that we're going to be naturally moving forward but so as we kind of move forward in the system software enabling realm there's a large team of people at various different companies all across the industry that are kind of pushing this forward and it feels like there's there needs to be a trustful relationship between uh, all of these folks uh, can you can you speak to to some of the the ways that we collaborate with with other companies yeah yeah absolutely uh, it's it's interesting that you 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 use the word trust <laughs> because that's that that is very valuable i mean the one the one thing that i've i've learned through i mean ha- having worked with i mean at, at intel clearly i was working with uh, the software ecosystem there was the opportunity to work with a lot of equally talented capable many times more so talented and capable individuals who were engineers in different companies and the one thing that i i've learned is that it is 
it's extremely important to to build relationships that are built on trust and mutual respect to to where to where the the joint accomplishment of what a set of people doesn't matter what companies they're from can deliver to where at the end of it you can collectively look at that and recognize that you jointly delivered that to a common set of goals and a common set of visions and there's always opportunities where you can kind of do something that is a short-term benefit, but if it risks the trust, you've likely mm-hmm. lost a lot more than you've gained. And for me, I mean, I, I was surprised at the fact that even though I'm likely working in a different environment, those relationships carry a massive amount of value. So, so I think is, is the, the trust aspect, it's a culture. And, and the part that I, I know is that the set of individuals that I'm working with, it's something that I've, I've just been amazed. I mean, it's uh, the amount of talent that you have in Ampere, I've just been surprised. And, and this is not just the set of people who I've worked with, but the set of people that I just started working with from just multitudes of, some from Qualcomm, some from AMD, some from AMCC, but that actually seem to have the same set of values to where you, you kind of build trust and that, that, that I think is the key pieces where it's the people that bring the trust, yep. right? I've also found that same amount of trust in, in the companies and the set of people that we are working with to where there's sort of everybody recognizing that you're the cusp of what likely is going to be the next revolution in computing and, and kind of looking at that as the big goal and wanting to make sure that we align and have an equal part in getting there. Where, where does that ethos come from? Is it experience? Is it from, you know, different kind of mindset? Um, <laughs> that's a hard question. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things I keep hearing in in what you describe is, I think this opportunity draws people who are hungry for big challenges. But you can't have too much of an ego because we all have to pull together. So you get this unique blend of people who are, as you said, audacious. They're bringing great talent, but they also are willing to get their hands dirty, to roll up their sleeve, to do multiple roles. And I, I think maybe that's cultivating, you know, or that's drawing. It's, it's a magnet to draw people that can live in both realms of doing big and wondrous things, but also being willing to do whatever needs to be done and not being afraid of that. I, I agree. It's hard to tell where a value system comes from. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's equally hard to build one. And, and uh, the beauty of Ampere, actually, it's the, and the one thing that I, I was drawn towards, and, and I knew that's something that we would have here, and uh, it's something that's proven out that way, is that value system. Because when, when you have a set of people both within the company and a set of partners who share those values, who who know that, that you're the cusp of transforming computing as we've known it and wanting to have a part of it, but recognizing it is a bigger problem than any one of us individually can and that collectively delivering that, I think that's, that's a huge thing. If you step back in your own life and you think about early experiences where you had to test yourself with staying with a challenge until 
you re- reckoned with it. You know, slaying that first dragon or <laughs> getting to a point where you had that tenacity and you could prove to yourself, you know, this was an extraordinary problem, but I stayed with it. Are there memories or experiences early, either in your academic career or even in your childhood that stand out to you as, as markers of that being developed or cultivated in your life? Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to have to think on that one for a bit. <laughs> yeah, when, when was the engineer shoe born? Yeah. There's an origin story. We all have this uh, origin story. I, I actually think that you're born an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> And and uh, I think you asked a lot of the people here; they'll all agree. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 actually I kind of when I look in the mirror, well, so I, I think Mahesh likely kind of knows this, right? But I mean, growing up in India or in just Southeast Asia, you you either became a doctor or you became an engineer. <laughs> I, I was sort of the odd one out in my family. Everybody was a doctor and still isn't. So you were still a rebel. <laughs> I, I, I yes. I mean, <laughs> I, I think is so. So this is this is sort of a funny story, and uh, but likely what what actually I think reinforced my desire to go down the engineering path, right? So my my elder sibling is a doctor. He was in med school, and I just look at the 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 huge tomes of medical books that he had to memorize that point in time right and there's a point in time where we kind of decided that okay we let's let's try something um, so in india you have you actually have weighing scales that that <laughs> gonna have these like literal balances right so we put his medical books on one side <laughs> we put him on and these are huge things we put him on the other side and the books weighed more than him <laughs> And that's when I was looking at that. I said, you know, math is good. You can start with addition and you can build up from there. I really don't want to memorize all of yep. that stuff. And in, in our field, we have something called grip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we um, can find things. Yeah, so so I think it's just the, the, the fact that it's more fun. It's, it's likely a lot easier just starting with basic principles and building something. Uh, I think that, that, that helped me decide that medicine really wasn't meant for me. <laughs> but I think is the it, it is true, I think, that challenges that you run into and your experiences in navigating them actually shape that. I think Mahesh might likely run. There, there are some pretty colossal, I wouldn't say colossal, but some pretty meaningful failures that I had at Intel where you kind of take on a, a challenging goal. I can't get into specifics. It doesn't work the way you expect it to. But the beauty of it is, I think, is what I found is that the second attempt you make at solving the problem, you get it right. Hmm. If you learn from the first time. If you learn from the first one, right? And, and I think that's that's sort of the one of the values that I, I kind of learned out of those experiences, which is and, and something that I, I kind of relate on is it's actually okay to make mistakes. In fact, if you don't make mistakes, you're not pushing the envelope. But it is equally important to learn from them and not repeat them. And and that's actually been the, for every first attempt we made at solving a problem, 
And some of those are pretty challenging problems. I wouldn't say we failed every time, mm. but there are a few instances where we did. But the second attempt that you made at them, you were successful. And that just reinforced that that value. Now, there's a lot of these that you kind of learned by, by going through the ringer and coming out either successful or coming out more educated. One of my uncles has, has a saying, I remember this from my childhood, he says, you, you should definitely learn from your mistakes, but a good person learns from other people's mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're talking about the industry and Ampere and where it sits, and we're kind of in this like this red carpet has kind of been rolled out for us. And for good or for bad, there are kind of companies lying on the side of the road on this carpet who didn't make it and we have the opportunity to learn from their their path and what they chose to do or not do right so do you think we're well set up now to be able to learn i i actually do and it's actually one of the questions that i've been asked a lot right where in the last six months is why why i'm here why can we do it yeah and one, I mean, there's there's three things that I've, I've actually, I've always responded to it, right? One is the building SOCs and microprocessors is hard. You, you can make a lot of mistakes. But being in a team that has had the experience of making those mistakes and building 10 to 15 generations of the products that actually have shaped the existing computing ecosystem is one one aspect of that. The second aspect is the one that you actually referred to, Mahesh, which is that there's there have been a lot of companies that have blazed the trail. And unfortunately for them, they didn't necessarily get to the finish line. But they they effectively created a path and solved the problems to a point where sort of that that cusp of success is a lot closer now. I mean, the, the one the one thing that I kind of just realized, right, is I, I spent 20 plus, 25 years of uh, my life looking at one instruction set and evolving that from something that was a one processor PC with 64K memory on it to something that ran a full server. And kind of coming and looking at the ARM instruction set and V8 specifically, there was the, the the ability to have an instruction set that could learn and adopt and really be built for our servers from scratch. Right. So the same thing with, with, to some extent, I think, is with the how a lot of the basic attributes around security and reliability and things that are important for the hyperscale computing are being built. Right. The, the companies that have, come, that have come have taken it from a set of processors that was running on our phones to an instruction set or platform and an architecture that pretty much can build extremely competitive products. But but opportunity actually is something for a set of people who are there to take it at the right time and deliver what is needed for it at the right opportunity for doing that. I believe Ampere has that unique opportunity and the ability to kind of really finish that last lap, mm-hmm. really go across the finish line. And and to some extent, I think, is we've been uh, lucky to have a set of people that have really run the first four set of laps 
or three sets of laps, depending <laughs> on <laughs> what race you're running to, to get you there. So, I've heard it takes about 10 years for technology to, to kind of come from inception to maturation. And you can kind of look at you know the past and see how that curve has has applied. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think Renee said that we're about nine years into the cycle of ARM ARM servers, the kind of idea of ARM servers. So it, it, it seems like it's the right time if okay. we follow that curve. Yeah. You said you started at Intel as an intern. I did, yes. Yeah. And that was here in Oregon? <coughs> yes. Have you been in Oregon since then? I have, yes. <laughs> so for all intents and purposes, you're an Oregonian? or I, I am an Oregonian. I, uh, uh, I mean, the, the story starts, so, um, so I, I grew up in the, the, the western part of India, which, um, or midwestern part of India, which is pretty hilly. I'd see the ocean, I'd see a lot of green, and then I... I did my undergrad. I did my grad school in in Ohio State, uh, Columbus. Loved the school, <laughs> uh, not the Midwest. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I don't want to kind of make it sound like. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people from the Midwest, but it just wasn't for me. <laughs> but the, there was an ocean. <laughs> there was an ocean. You could go for miles and miles, and and. There's no hills. <laughs> it's like, where did the hills go? Where did the ocean go? <laughs> and, and I mean, of course, I grew up in a topical environment. And here's another funny story, right? Which is, uh, so I land in Columbus in spring, in September. Uh, looking for apartments. We find an apartment on the ground floor, which is $120 cheaper than everything else. We say, wow, let's go for it. <laughs> and we're just wondering why is it $120 cheaper now 120 for a grad student is a lot of money by the way <laughs> and we got an answer when the first snowstorm came in <laughs> when I wake up in the morning and I have about close to three feet of snow outside the window <laughs> I can't open the window <laughs> <laughs> and then I also learned why doors open inwards. Because <laughs> when you have four feet of snow outside, there's no way you can push the door out. <laughs> so yes, I, I love the, the first few flakes of snow. <laughs> so I think is is when I, um, I had a friend that actually I went to undergrad school with who was at OSU and I visited him in spring break. I landed in Portland, was going down 26, and I saw the hills, I saw the ocean, and I knew, okay, this is where I, uh, where I, so yes, I'm in, I'm in Oregon, and the house I'm living in is the one that I've lived in the longest ever, and Portland is home. Yeah, it's, it's amazing because, so I, I grew up in a tropical environment as well, and there's something really nice about you know, losing the humidity, <laughs> losing some of the incredible tropical vectors and bugs, but then getting all the other good benefits. Good exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a agreed. beautiful place. I, I have a question about process. I'm always fascinated by people's creative and innovative process. And when you're thinking about systems and when you're thinking about architecting, there's constantly tensions that occur between, say, performance 
and security or innovation and reliability. And when you go to look at a new feature, new potential, new direction, but then also the relationship of that to the entire system and the impact that can reverberate from that. What is your process for for thinking through design innovation? Yeah, I mean, the, <clears throat> one, one, one is there's no formula to some extent for innovation. That's what I kind of, the first thing that I learned, right, is the second thing, and, and this is actually, I give a credit to at least a few of my mentors in helping me learn, is that defining the problem is the hardest problem. And when, when confronted with something gray that you need to go solve, the biggest part is, is breaking it down and defining it into a problem that's solvable that actually leads you to the solution. Once, you, once you've done that, then you find that there's a plethora of just innovative ideas that start emerging. Uh, it's struggling through that process of taking something gray and breaking it down into a, a tangible set of questions that you can find answers to. That's the hard part. And that's, that's actually where I believe the art and in innovation lies. And the only way you do that is by watching somebody do it. <laughs> <laughs> Than, than doing it yourself and and actually teaching it. is, is Those are the three key things that, that I've learned is if you want to learn them. And, and again, this I attribute to the medical science is, is that that is an established methodology of learning and teaching is that teaching is the ultimate way of learning. The, the innovation part of it is actually, it, it's, it's, an, it's an art. I mean, a, a lot of it really then, once you have the set of questions you for a while, you have to throw belief out of the window and just be think through all possible solutions, and then then bring reality into the picture and see which ones stick and which ones don't. There's a saying about grad students about how they don't know what's not possible. Yeah, and yeah. that's yeah. how you get a PhD. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Is not not be constrained by by what you know, not what you believe, right? So, and I, I'll say this, it's actually uh, walking in the corridors in Ampere, there's been a lot of that. I mean, I've, I've exercised that part of my desire of innovating more in the last six months than I've done for a while. Just the hallway conversations, right? Where you kind of throw belief out of the window think about solutions for something that's a problem. And there's been at least four times I've walked through that conversation where you have an idea for how you can do something better. And that's a fun fun part to be a part of. I love what you said about teaching because on one hand, you're getting a benefit yourself because you refine your ideas, you refine your knowledge, you sometimes Boost it, but that's also part of that's part of the culture is being willing to learn, being willing to share. Are, are you seeing ways that one we have the proximity, we're all kind of in, in closer quarters, so we have that. But are there other ways you see we're driving that at Ampere, where we're coaching and teaching more candidly and openly? We, we actually do. It's so so the 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 first day that I walked into Ampere was kind of. Interesting for me. Um, you, you didn't really walk in. You hobbled yeah, in. Yeah, I hobbled in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I 
I, I, I had a feeling that I was going to be asked that question. <laughs> I, I did have a cast on my right right ankle at that point in time. <laughs> but but maybe that's another story. Okay, next podcast. <laughs> it's actually uh, the the part that is. Uh, I walked in and and the aisle I walked in had open desks, and a lot of the faces that. I, I felt like I was walking into Intel 25 years back. But it's the the ability to actually walk up to somebody and start a conversation. For me, I think, is, is I, I actually wanted and loved being on an open desk because I can then have people actually come up to me. And I've learned a, a lot through people coming up and asking me questions to where it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what title you have. At the end of the day, we're all engineers <laughs> and everybody has a skill set in a particular area. And I think that's part of the culture is there's no boundaries. The titles don't matter. Uh, it's the who you are, what you know, what you've done and what you can help and learn from other people to do and get done. I think there's a humility that permeates through, as you said, titles don't matter. That's, it was exactly my, my belief as I entered. It didn't matter what you called me. I'm going to do the same work regardless. Yeah. Shiv, I know engineering work is a big part of your life, but you also have a great family at home. Can you, can you share a little bit about how they give you strength and how, how can you be a father and a Ampere fellow at the same time? <laughs> it's actually been a lot more easier at Ampere is what, what I've found. Uh, is, um, so I mean, I'm, I'll say I'm, I'm blessed. I have three blessings in my life. My wife's Priya and I have two kids. We've been married for 25 years and a year. Wow, congratulations. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I literally owe a lot of what I am to her and to some extent my, my kids too. Uh, she, she's she's an amazing person. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of the, the engineer, the analytical, <laughs> the mathematical kind of person. Here's you're, you're a little bit of a funny story. But <laughs> so I, I do like to cook when I, when I get the chance, but I'm an engineer in the kitchen. <laughs> it's recipes, right? It's a recipe. Yeah. When the recipe says that you got to cut the, the zucchini to half inch, I bring the ruler out and I cut the half inch. <laughs> and, and the beauty is, even after following the recipe, she just does things naturally that are, I mean, I, I think math comes naturally to me. I think she just does everything that the social, it's just every aspect just naturally. And I might follow the recipe, but uh, she'll just get the thing done. And and when you get to the pinch of something, you're like, pinch. Yeah. Where's the, <laughs> where's me- the, where's the measurement for this pinch? What's a dash? What's a dash? It's like, seriously, what kind of recipe is this? <laughs> uh, but but she, she's actually, uh, she's, I mean, I, I, I'd be, I, I don't know what I'd be without her. Uh, she's completed. She's challenged. She's supported. Uh, there's been parts of my life when, I mean, things weren't going well. She's been the backbone. Yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> um, 
my kids are amazing. I have a son. Uh, he's 18 years old. I've learned a lot about patience and perseverance through him. They're both amazing. And I mean, one of the things that I looked for was to find the opportunity to be and, and actually be a spend a meaningful part of my mind share and time mm-hmm. with them and the last six months I mean I, I find that I've actually been I mean I feel feel like that that I'm actually getting the most of the blessings in my life it's mm-hmm. amazing yeah, yeah. Do, do you guys uh, you mentioned your passion for Oregon and outdoors do you guys spend time outdoors we do we do um, <laughs> Uh, we are all outdoor people. We hike a lot. Supriya is the adventurous one. <laughs> uh, that's what I said. She she pushes the boundaries and kind of takes me into areas that I, being the analytical person, likely would have never ventured. <laughs> so she yes. So the <laughs> so we we learned to ski. She kind of learned a year before I did, and then I kind of once put my daughter and wife were on the slopes. I figured I needed to learn how to ski. <laughs> uh, the broken ankle didn't have anything to do with that. Oh, okay. But, but the, the, there's two stories behind the broken ankle. The, the more exciting one, which I kind of tell is the, uh, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I learned to ski and then sort of being this audacious person decided that I'm going to do a helicopter drop over a three diamond slope, three black diamond slope. And it was the helicopter fault they dropped me in the wrong way <laughs> but that's not the true story <laughs> but it's the more fun story <laughs> the, the real story is actually we were we were hiking in um, uh, Smith Rock State Park mm-hmm. and and uh, the stone came in the way uh. yeah. it wasn't me it was the stone <laughs> but yes so I kind of going back right is uh, we, 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 we love we love Oregon we're on the beach or most weekends on the beach or on the cars or or at Mount I, I hear you've gone fishing a few times too. Yes, and so that's that's uh, so uh, that's again where Supriya. <laughs> so yes, I think she she decided that fishing was an experience she wanted to have. So we we actually over the last over the Fourth of July weekend, she arranged her flew to Alaska, spent twelve hours on a boat fishing. It was actually a good experience. She called it a Zen experience. <laughs> Did you uh, but, also experience the Zen? Um, yes, I. I uh, it was good being disconnected. It's actually uh, fun being. I mean, it, it was a beautiful experience. We were off the Alaska coast. There were humpback whales just kind of frolicking around, and they got all the bites. I think we got some fish, but just the experience of being there was great. Excellent. So, Thank you so much for coming into the studio with here, with us today. We're really glad that you've come here and joined Ampere Computing. We had a really wonderful chat about engineering and the culture here and the great outdoors as well. Yeah. Thank you, Shiv Koshik. He's Ampere Fellow. And thank you, Kristen Cannon. Yes, thank you. It was great. And my name is Mahesh Madhav, and we'll join you again next time at the Ampere Podcast. Thanks. <laughs>